And welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast. As always, it is Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical, with, and I don't know what that means anymore. I am joined by Czech Pilsner Chakas. How are we doing today? You are listening to the dulcet tones of Nicholas Cameron. Okay, that's weird. Um, so good. I love hearing your voice, man. I Like I said, for the <laughs> listeners that don't know, I loved your voice so much. I had you do commercials for the Ghost Cult Podcast. <laughs> So our commercial breaks are literally Nick talking about Anchor FM, Anchor.fm, and you know what? You should probably do one to promote this podcast with us and your other podcasts. Like I did do one. I gave you. I gave I, that I to you. I think we've been using them. I, I've okay, had cool. a lot of podcast material. That's the problem. I, most of the uh, uh, interviews have been going to read. Oh, I forgot to say it's beer, metal, and swearing. It is beer, metal, and swearing. I cut you off. And also kind of vinyl. Go ahead with the beer. What you got there, pal? I have, because uh, Keefe's been doing all these Czech Pilsners and sending me pictures of Czech Pilsners. Uh, when I was at the beer store on Sunday, uh, I picked up a Volters Pilsner. Uh, I had one. It was delicious. How's that spelled? V, I'm sorry, W-O-L-T-E-R-S. So German, like Wacken Volters, not V. I assume it's Volters. It, uh... Can't see with your hand in the way. Sorry. <laughs> He's trying to show me the can. No, I was trying to read the can. hand's covering the logo. No, I was trying to read the can. This had nothing to do with you. It's all about me. I know. I'm a narcissist at heart. I know. Everybody I knows that. Mal- everybody has a little bit of malignant. Uh, it's got a warning label in Chinese. That's not really Fuck. helpful. That's not good at all. Um, no, you're right. It is German. So it is Volters. It's a German pilsner. So this is great. I texted Nick on New Year's Eve, or I messaged you Facebook Messenger. I don't know if I have your cell number. We'll just call it text. It's fine. It's text, Messenger, whatever, from a Safeway in the Mission District in San Francisco, where I had oh, gone. Oh, fuck. That re- is good. I had gone record shopping. What? It looks good. It looks beautiful. Nick gets these gorgeous beers that like put my, give me like beer envy. Um, I am gonna get my beer open in a second, but I texted you from the supermarket where I was buying a gang of beer. Uh, not good because I started to went back on my diet this week, and I'm not supposed to have any grains or beer. But my beer is gonna happen because my life. Beer is, is bread. It's fine. It's, well, I'm not supposed to have any bread at all, but it's incongruent to the other part of my life right now which is suffering and i have to have alcohol so unfortunately for my diet, alcohol is the anesthetic that allows us to endure adulthood let's drink till we can't feel feelings but i messaged nick from the supermarket <laughs> with all these beers in my cart and then vinyl was like my vinyl stash that i had just picked up from the record store up the block which i'm going to talk about in a second nick was like you have a store that has beer and vinyl what is this deviltry it was something to that effect it was awesome well, I, I was angry because we don't have one here. And if what? any city should that? have one, it's here. Because of our, the murder rate? Because our murder know. rate. Hey, hey, real quick. Let me just get something clear. Quite crystalline, clear as an unmuddied lake, blue as an azure sky. That's from A Clockwork Orange, if you didn't know. I said it wrong, but it's still, you yeah, know. I got the gist, yeah. Uh, St. Louis's crime statistics are not calculated the way every other cities are. Because St. Louis City is its own county, all of the murder statistics are based on just St. Louis City, not the entire metro area or county like everywhere else is. Does that count for East St. Louis? What part is East St. Louis? East St. Louis is Illinois. It's another state. It is, it, it, that has nothing to do with it, but don't oh, go there. Shit. Holy fuck, do not go there. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Um, by the way, I say this in jest as San Francisco has like literally a fucking crime wave right now. Um, I'm not kidding. Um, so anyway, beer check. Uh, another one of my favorite San Francisco beer brands, but a beer I have not had before. This is Fort Point Animal Tropical India Pale Ale. Oh. And it's in a bright orange can with a very funky, you know, sort of an orange variant of their black classic can design. That can is the size of my forearm. Well, I need about 20 of these right the fuck right now because it's been a well, kind of day. My backup is in uh, Eisenberg Beer Jesus. Extra Bold. That, also that a pint. Looks intimidating. That, that it it is. It's also eight percent. So mm. I got a session beer to be backed up by a seven, beer that shouldn't exist. This is a seven point five. Oh my! Alcohol by volume. It is a little fruity. It's mm. got like a fruit. Aftertaste, I assumed. Which I yeah I figured tropical fruit yeah. right so it's like you know hints of maybe a guava or a pineapple or a grapefruit. I don't love grapefruit. I don't know about you. I'm not a grapefruit person. No. A little grapefruitiness to it that I don't. Not really a citrusy person, so I would never do well on the boats. I hear you. Um, but I do, but this isn't a bad beer, and it's not a high. I'm going to pound this fucking thing because it's been that kind of day. Same. <laughs> this this beer is uh, lovely on the, uh, the, the Volters, and it says product of Germany directly on the can, so I really... Wasted a lot of time trying to find that because it's 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 right there. So, uh, and then it says I didn't like the fancy font though. Oh, it's very fancy, and it's got a a crest. It's it's like Lowenbrow. Remember Lowenbrow? I was about to say reminiscent of the Lowenbrow colors and the font. Well, Lowenbrow. Lowen yeah. Well, Lowenbrow was uh, intended to be fancy, but it was just swill. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it says on here, brewed in strict accordance to the German purity law. So this Beef. beer Ooh. celebrates Reinholdskabach. Interesting. Before I ever uh, famously sang with Whitney Houston or sang in heavy metal bands or sang in the shower, even as a little kid, I knew the Lowenbrow commercial theme song. <laughs> Would you like to hear some of it right now? Oh, just, 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 I'm going to... Just a just couple take, of bars because... Just going to take a sip. Give me, give me, give me four bars. <clears throat> Maybe two. To good friends, tonight is kind of special. Something, something, I don't remember the words. Here's to Lowenbrow. Well, I appreciate that. Every podcast we do together in my world is special. Because it's fun, it's ridiculous, and let's now move on. Put the lotion in the basket, I got a beer. Oh my lord, that is creepy. (laughs) Keefe is just lotioning (laughs) up. I don't, this is a new one. I don't, oh, 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 oh. (laughs) Oh, Got it on the screen. Oh, Shit. no. <laughs> Luckily, I have some wipes. Uh, vinyl oh, check God. Anyway, vinyl <laughs> check. Uh, if, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to go first. Yeah, I want you to. Uh, I uh, I think I've only purchased uh, two this week so far. Maybe that's not right. I can't keep up anymore. I just hmm. give up. Uh, my copy of Cats did show up today. I saw Cats uh, about a week and a half ago now. Rum Tum Tugger is now my new god. And I'm going to try to do my life like Rum Tum Tugger. I apologize to everyone who knows me now in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, was that the was was that a Schneef reference? Was no, Keefe... just like whoa. Okay, fair enough. Because mm. Keefe just put. I his... love cats like an unnatural amount. I saw. It I uh, yeah. So Keefe just, just put his hand up to his up. nose and made a big snort. No, so... no, no. So it was like. Yeah, okay, funny. whatever. I'm I'm not judging. You know, you need some Schneef. Just don't do a speedball. It's fine. Uh, don't do. Don't do Schneef, really. Don't, don't do Schneef. I only kick boom. I never get skied. 
And I don't know what that means. Moving on. Uh, I also picked up a copy of Whitford St. Holmes. Wow. Uh, I will uh, go ahead and announce it that we that is what we are doing on the Department of Mental Antiquities next week. Um, so Brad I Whitford wanted to have it on Derek vinyl. Hol- Derek St. Holmes, very Correct. underrated guys. Did not know this album even existed until we were recording this past week, and we got into the the Wikipedia downfall. And I'm like, holy hell, what is this? Derek St. Holmes is awesome. I will forgive his time with Ted Nugent. Um, nah, that was Ted Nugent by the before time. Yeah, well, I don't think he was ever... Fuck him. Anyway, so Derek St. Holmes, really talented. Brad Whitford, really talented. Mm -hmm. Um, He did kind of jar me by saying, like, he's like, I don't think this band can ever tour again. Talked about Aerosmith. I don't even want to go, like, you know, I was really hoping to go to, like, Fenway Pack and see the 50th anniversary shows, kid. But uh, I have a gut feeling these things are never going to happen at this point. I don't think anything's going to happen right now. But anywho, I also picked up today, I decided to go ahead and pull the trigger on it, the new uh, Plant and Kraus record. Okay. So I'll have that on Sunday. And then I've also got, oh, I also bought a copy of Lou Reed Transformer. Love it. Did not have that one. Not a a popular record by him. It's Um, not? I thought that was his big one. I mean, it's one of his big... Well, I'd say this. It's one of his big ones commercially. It's the one people know from his okay. early... So, past Velvets. Yeah. But... And it's also the t- title of his autobiography, which you have never read. If you have, have not read, read I need should. to read that. It is, is a stellar read. He had a horrible fucking life. And it's no wonder that, you know, he was an out-of-the-box and creative-thinking person because he channeled his suffering into his art he was a brilliant guy unfortunately lulu was like the last thing he ever did so i will also say also i will also say that the next department of mental antiquities that drops is lulu oh shit that's so i will listen but it's mad unfortunate because yeah i i apologize to duncan actually in a messenger i was like dude i'm so sorry he made you do that like that's just fucking mean he loved it which is crazy out of spoiler hey, alert. hey hey sorry, sorry. He doesn't hate it. I fucking hate it. I love Lou Reed and I love Metallica. Wearing my Master of Puppet shirt, just coincidentally, and it's you can edit that out. It's fucking. I'm not gonna. I, I it, hate it, Lou this will drop afterwards. It's fine. Speaking uh, of my vinyl check, let's yeah, go ahead with <laughs> the band we can never fucking get away from. So well, I um, I was. We can't get away from them because did you ever read Muscle Mag? I worked at GNC and Vitamin World for a okay, couple of years, sure. so so, okay. so I had to read it for product knowledge and the ladies that it. they had photos of. Mm. Um, but they they had an Arnold minute, like in every issue they had the Arnold Schwarzenegger update. Cool, because he's the only bodybuilder that everyone knows. Right, that's also true. So that's just basically what happens here. Metallica is the metal band that Everybody we just can't knows. get away from. Everybody knows. So I had not been buying a lot of vinyls, just receiving things I had purchased already. Had not been to the record store in a few months. Trying to abstain, trying to save money, trying to be good. Unsure of the future. But I was like, you know what? I got my booster shot, and I was feeling fucking froggy and optimistic, and I had the day off, a rare, complete day off. If you're feeling froggy, you should jump. No ghost cults, no work day job. So I went to Thrill House Records in the Mission District. Next time we come to San Francisco, we shall go. They are a cooperative record store. They're a co-op record store. So not only do they 
They share the profits with the employees. Mm. It's a small little place, but it's got rad fucking history and great, like, actual legendary musicians drop their stuff off for free and just let them have it to sell. So oh, very cool. Money. They have rare shit. They have current stuff, record store day stuff, and they have used stuff. So, I, you know, I, I'm now trying to, like, pad my collection bit by bit. And I wasn't really planning to buy new things, air quotes new, but, you know, you pick through the new things and see what just came in. <clears throat> so, uh, number one, I have a bag of shit actually below me, but here's the, the choice things. Metallica live at Woodstock 94, basically. Four LPs, four sides, excuse me, two LPs, four sides. The complete concert they did, which is about two hours. Um, it's missing um, Ecstasy of Gold at the beginning, which kind of bites. But because um, I, I think you might have heard that enough. You can just get your iPhone I, out I, and, and just play it on your just, phone. Yeah, I don't have an iPhone, but yeah. Whatever. Um, great set list. Opens with Bread Fan, closes with So What. Quality's not bad. You were concerned. Um, yeah, I I have a few bootlegs and uh, you know bootleg live albums. I've got a couple of Roger. I've got Roger Waters' Pros and Cons in New York Volumes One and Two, a four sided live concert, and I've also got uh, Radio Radio Chaos Live Chaos. I forget what it's called. Um, oh no, Radio Quebec, which is uh, they were both, but those were both uh, radio programs. They were radio broadcasts, so I knew the quality would be good. Nice. Um, making sure I have my things correct side up just to show you and no one else can see because this is a <laughs> podcast. I got this cool rarity, Summoner Atlantean, which is a great record from almost 10 years ago. One of the first releases ever on Magnetic Eye. Uh, this artwork is done by Matt Pike's wife, who plays bass in Lord Dying, by the way. Phenomenal Very cool. Stoner Doom record if you like the Stoner Doom and the Sludgy Rips. Summoner. Can't, cannot recommend high enough. Uh, this was on my bucket list for a long time, and it came out on a recent record store day. I have yet to even open it. But John Carpenter's Ghost from Mars, which is a horrendous movie, but is a great soundtrack because it is made with metal artists and John Carpenter collaborating in the studio, including Anthrax on a bunch of tracks. And it's like the Anthrax lineup, like the John Bush years, so no vocals, but like Paul Crook and John Bush. And that era of Anthrax. Mm -hmm. So I do love this thing. It's got a Buckethead also. And a few other people on here of note. Um, Robin Fink, who was in um, Guns N' Roses. And a bunch of other people. So those were the new things that I got. <clears throat> and then I got a bunch of used things. I went through the $3 and $1 bins. And I was like, sometimes you just fucking get lucky, you know? Uh, I got the Flotsam and Jetsam single cover of Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, which is <laughs> I love and is fucking awesome. If you ever want a good metal cover of an Elton John song, you didn't need, you didn't know you needed, but you need it now. Look at this. This is my bag with the other vinyls. Those were the like choice ones. I don't have to run through them all, but I'll just rattle off a few more because fuck it. Um, I got one of my favorite King Crimson records, Wake Up Poseidon, used for $3. It's pretty mint. Um, barely a scratch. Couple of Chicago records that are pretty beat up, but I love Chicago. Clean them, and you'll be surprised. I've got a couple of Chicago records you, as well. I've got the first that. one, and I've got Chicago Four, the four LP live album at Carnegie Hall. Nice. I got that for five bucks. I, and yeah, I think I got Chicago Two and Three basically for a buck each. Nice. Um, Pat Benatar record. That mm, I we got a know. couple. Um, and I got a Davida, the single on vinyl. 
That's all you need. That is all you need. Kind of all record. you need from heavy metal. I got an Andre Segovia record because I love guitar shit. <laughs> and what's this guy here? Oh, this is interesting. This is fucking interesting. So I, again, like, you just take a chance sometimes on a on a cheapo record and you just see right. what you get. This is fucking the best of Castle Donington from like fucking nineteen eighty whatever. Holy 80, hell! Nineteen eighty. Monsters of Rock, Castle Donington, which is now Download Festival, for those who don't know. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's got a, tr- a few tracks each from Rainbow, Scorpions, April Wine. And that's Saxon, Rainbow with the Dio. Rainbow with Dio, right before Sabbath, literally a few months yeah, before. Yeah, literally. Saxon, Riot, and Tough. So like, or Touch, I can't tell. But, um... Yeah, there's no way that like would have stayed there. It's got I like a little it. photo of a Bobby. Sorry, British people. But this is fucking hilarious, I think. It is hilarious. And, uh, you know, like, it's quite a haul. I you know, I didn't spend a lot of money, but, like, I got a lot of records, and I'm enjoying the fuck out of them. And then, besides Faith No More, the music I have listened to the most this whole week has been my chemists on vinyl, Deceiver, because it's uh, such a banger. I actually wish it had come out earlier in the year. I probably would have had it up higher on my end-of-year list, because it's I've been just obsessing over it. It's so fucking good. <clears throat> That's a very long vinyl check-in for me, and I am I am sorry, but I am gl- I'm I'm proud and I'm happy. I am Please. always happy to to hear about that. I, a little bit of vinyl news that's not really news. Uh, I received a private message on a forum I am on saying, "Hey, we need your expert vinyl opinion on this thread because nobody knows what to say." Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Uh, apparently, MoFi is releasing the Van Halen first six records. A hundred and a quarter a pop. Shit. That's gonna fucking suck. I have to have all those. Um, you no you do that, boy. Ones, right? no I did not do that. I'm not touching them. Oh, it you Is there a reason why? I... The difference between that pressing and my Van Halen 1 and Van Halen 2 uh, first pressings... Yeah, okay. You can get all of the... You can get 1 through 6 for 50 bucks. Oh, word? Okay. On OG pressings. I got, like, my copy of one was five bucks. My copy of two was the princely sum of $25, which I only bought because it was Father's Day, and I had carte blanche to go to the record stores. Went to three that day. And my copy of Women and Children First was five bucks. And my copy of 1984 was 15 So That's I got amazing. four of them for, like, $40 or 50 bucks. <clears throat> And I overpaid on two. So that's why my my personal opinion will always be, except in rare circumstances, i.e. the Beastie Boys debut record on Def Jam, stick with the OG pressings if you can afford them. Unless Japanese is available. Japanese, then OG, then repress. Interesting. That's my opinion. Very interesting. Um... So, yeah, man. All right. Well, that's, you know, you are wise. Our uh, recent episode on vinyl was quite good, where you gave a lot of great advice, and we put together, like, a little shopping list of your necessary accoutrement. I enjoyed that. That was, that was a fun time. Mm-hmm. You should do it was, more uh, It was great to be able to do a bonus. I have the day free, so. <clears throat> but uh, what, uh, so we're, we're going into part two of Faith No More. Where should we start on that? Let's, You're let's the expert, just... not me. Well, yeah, let's pick up where we left off. So, introduce yourself. Is is uh, comes out. It's got a lot of bangers on it. They go on the road and tour for two years behind that record. 
that I mean, album, every song is either an absolute banger <clears throat> or just so crazy that you have to hear it. Uh, that, yes. And um, they decided during the tour that uh, they were not getting along with Chuck. Uh, he was very eccentric and had a lot of fits and problems. And they were all living in a bus and it's like six of them. And, you know, they uh, at one point there was a fist fight on stage with uh, Billy Gould and Chuck, which I think Chuck lost. And then Chuck was a real skinny dude. He doesn't look like much of a scrapper. But he was wild. And I think that's, you know, unpredictable people fight good. And, well, that was, uh, and that was one of the things, everything I saw about Chuck and the, the separation from Chuck was he was very unpredictable and they wanted a little bit more stability. Yeah, and there's probably some other things too. I think there were some criticisms of Chuck that aren't unfair, but again, other bands have less... You know, again, Diano is not garbage compared, you know, contrary to what you've heard. And we did the whole Iron Maiden series, and it was like, Paul Diano helped put Iron Maiden on the map. Is he as good a singer as Dickinson? Absolutely not. But he helped well, put them on the map. And that really changed a lot of my beliefs on the Diano years, personally. And I always looked at the Diano albums as abject crap. And they're not. They're very Songs good. Songs are brilliant, and he does a great job, mostly. Every now and again, mm-hmm. I fall into that trap where I listen to the political PR statements of a band when they're selling modern-day version, and sometimes they trash previous-day versions in order to sell modern-day version. And if you're doing that, you've got to be... you As a fan, you've just got to be careful and, and listen with your own ears. Right. So Chuck is exited from the band, and they worked on writing new music that was a little more focused and heavy. Um, again, I don't think, and I'll say this repeatedly during this series, I don't think Faith and were set out to be a heavy band, but some of their shit is just so abjectly heavy. And I don't just mean guitar, I mean heavy, musically. Heavy. Mostly not the guitar. Mostly not the guitar, it's mostly the bass and the drums are so locked in and grooving that they just work with metal bands, and then they ended up supporting a lot of metal bands on the road, but not with Chuck. Originally, they played with a lot of punk, alternative rock, and some of these other bands, and they did support, we'll talk about this in a, few, in a little later on, but famously they did tour during the Upla, Uplift MoFo Party Plan tour of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Faith No More was one of the openers for the West Coast leg, one West Coast leg, and they got on very well at that time. Did not last, but at that time, they got on well, and you could see how Chuck and Kiedis would be like, you know, birds of a feather for a lot of reasons, not just, you know, favorite drugs, but also, you know, just things they had in common, rapping, punk, you know, skateboarding. Um, I would, I mean, I would describe that first, the first album, Introduce Yourself, there's almost nothing metal about it no no there's a couple of great riffs and guitar ear candies but it's not it's guitar got some guitar flavor it's so little though it's so now when they went to play those songs they got heavier and watch videos of the chuck years things like we care a lot are fucking heavy you know and i think jim like on record jim martin a lot different than live i think well and he he was always on record no pun intended saying, you know, there was never enough guitar for him. 
in the in right. that band, and I can understand that. And you know, his guitar work was always my favorite part of it. But listening back, listening to uh, introduce yourself with a more critical ear, listening to the real thing as best as I could today, I forgot my headphones. It worked, so I was going to listen to a couple times through today, and I only got the one, so I'm going to be a little bit subdued on parts of this, and I apologize. Okay. With everything that's going on in my life, including moving, yeah. I am doing my goddamnedest to make sure I get two podcasts out a week. I'm just trying to get it all done. I and, but uh, so I apologize for that. But I, I would make the statement that if you listen to We Care a lot, it's like punk dance music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was alternative rock, <clears throat> not heavy metal at all. But you can see why. They were so weird and so fun and so funky. You could see why during the kind of run-up to alternative rock when people didn't know what was what, <clears throat> let's stick these guys with these other bands and see right. what happens. Oh, yeah. sticks. And some of those other bands were not paint-by-numbers bands. Like I said, Soundgarden was a very avant-garde progressive band when they started, and they were not strictly what you think of them when you think of Soundgarden. You think of Black Hole Sun. That is not how the band sounded for many yeah, years. We, we did an episode on Soundgarden. I want to say it was their first album or second album that we did, mm. and it is very different. Uh, are you talking about the EPs, or are you talking about albums? Albums. We did an oh, album. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when they got to an album, they graduated up to a better style. But, yeah, like their earlier stuff was also like very punk noise. Punk yeah, oh, yeah. A little metal. Much more punk. A, lo- a little metal, a lot crazy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... They get out, Chuck, and they don't have a singer, and they're writing they're writing stuff, and they're trying to come up with a new album. They did leverage, uh, you know, their original We Care A Lot EP. It gets referred to as an album, but it's really not an album. This is, uh, the real thing is considered their third album, but it's not, a, it's not their third album. It's their second full album. But, you know, they had a, been a band for a while, been a band for five years almost by the time they kicked out Chuck and they started to write this new record. And so they're Bay Area based and they all have different vibes. Uh, Jim came from the thrash metal scene. He actually had a band in high school with Cliff Burton, who was one of his best friends. Jim is still close friends with Hetfield, apparently, from Metallica. And um, even though he's been long retired from music that we know of. And um, they... Puffy Borden, Mike Borden, gets passed a tape by a 19-year-old Michael Allen Patton from the Eureka, California, hardcore band, death metal hardcore band, Mr. Bungle. Um, which is bizarre because Mr. Bungle in the last year has put out their, uh, two last year and a half, they put out their original demo as a full album with a few new songs and covers, The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny which was super heavy and extreme. When you think of Mr. Bungle now, you think of this genre-blending avant-garde funk, jazz, lounge band that's a little, and sometimes grindcore, and sometimes death metal, and sometimes rap. But not that, like, Mr. Bungle was regionally known. They're high school kids, basically. I think Patton was going to college for writing, creative writing. And the slot opens up in Faith No More, and he passes the bungle tape to Borden. He listens to this. He's like, dude, you should come down and jam with us. Okay, cool. And immediately, they feel like he's the guy. All the music is basically written for the album, and they basically told him, I want to just put your words and melodies on this. And he tried to kind of collaborate and make the songs his own, and they were like, nah, this is what it is. This is what you get. So he embraced that, even though he was annoyed. He was he embraced it, and he made his shit fit. 
And um, they worked again with, um, I'm going to say it is Matt Wallace slash 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 records slash reprise records, which is now Warner Brothers reprise, Warner Brothers music, whatever, Warner music, whatever it's called now with all the coagulation of all the record labels. But, um, you know, he was kind of the sixth member of Faith No More. He helped shape their sound. He did introduce yourself. He did the real thing. And he had also produced, he engineered for Slayer, and he worked on a bunch of Bay Area Thrash records, and he worked on Primus. So you could see, like, he's a Svengali type of guy with great ears. Mike is raw, and really, Bungle had never been, like, you know, didn't have a budget, didn't record in a studio like this. They had three, basically three geniuses who didn't know what direction to go in. So the first direction was like, let's vomit out on the world and be heavy as fuck. And then they changed and evolved slowly. But Mike comes in, he's 19, 20 years old, and it's like the world is his oyster. So he, you know, these songs are, we know them now, and some of these songs are beloved in, in rock and heavy metal. But like, you know, it was a brand new sound in a lot of ways, even beyond Introduce Yourself. This is the first full-fledged sonic Faith No More album we are now accustomed to. And for a band that has many touches, many styles, this is their their real coming out party, the real thing. Completely agree with that. This is when Faith No More becomes the group we know. It's kind of like how it, it for a lot of bands the the classic lineup is not the original lineup, and it, the tale is old as time. You know, this interesting. Guy can... Yeah, this guy can do a little bit better for us. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it happens. So so Mike comes in, and basically they give him like two weeks or less to 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 put it all together his way. And apparently, according to legend and lore, like I said, I'm a huge fan of the book uh, "A Small Victory" by Adrian Hart. Uh, check out the website and the Facebook group for Faith No More followers. They also have social media pages, including a very cool Insta. The band will peek in and collaborate on oh, wow. those pages, which is cool. Especially Billy Gould and Roddy, who are very big on social media and lurkers in the Faith No More community. And apparently, and a lot of the subject material is out, and the songs are catchy as fuck, but they're really dark. There's several songs about bipolar disorder and mental illness. There are multiple songs about murdering your loved ones. Uh couched in these very catchy, you know, mellifluous, beautiful songs. Hey, surprise! You're yeah, dead. You're dead. Um, apparently, at one point, the first pass of lyrics that Mike had for most of these songs, Mike, Matt Wallace went to him and was like, dude, let's go to the coffee shop for a day and just edit these a little because these are gonna the record company's going to shit themselves when they see some of these lyrics. These are not good lyrics. And then he was like, okay, if I take out this, you have to keep that. So Surprise Your Dead is one of those that was like, oh, we have to keep that one, and we'll get to it when we do the track by track. But um, it's all over the place, and somehow it still works, which is the mark of one of you know some of the greatest bands ever. It I is think. a 45-minute anxiety attack. <laughs> it truly is. It truly is. Which In the best where, way. Whereas <laughs> Introduce Yourself was a 45-minute paranoid delusion. Well done. Um, here's a good here's a good analogy I just come up with off the top of my head. Introduce yourself as literally like a crazy person talk to themselves in New York City, and like the real thing is like the gay men's choir of San Francisco singing beautifully in unison. 
on the Golden Gate Bridge during a rainstorm. And um, it is banana balls good. It is such a good record. I hope somebody out there gets that analogy because I got nothing. I mean, I got it, but it's... Well, I know you got it. You know, it's it's pretty wild. Um, it's it's but it's it's devilishly focused. The songs are very. They're most of them are very. Even the elaborate ones, like you know, some of them are six seven minutes long, but they're really beautifully composed. Full fledged motive motifs, key changes, various vocal styles in the same song. Um, much heavier guitar than the previous album. There was a there were a couple of like super thrash riffs, and those are that just came out of nowhere. Yeah, surprise you're dead, which we'll get to in a second, was actually a riff left over from Jim's band with Cliff Burton. Is oh, neat. I don't think he has a co-writing on it, uh, Cliff, but it's like a song from the band he had with Cliff. I'm forgetting the name now. It might have been like it wasn't trauma, was children it? or something. No, it wasn't trauma. It was the band before Cliff was in trauma. Oh, gotcha. And that's their high school band. And um, and it's it's that those riffs are buzzsaws, man. They're just brutal. They're so good. That surprise is a great song. Um, yeah, man. It's really if you take the original cassette version, which is the eleven songs version. Um, you know, it's the cassette. It's the cassette version, which was the version that I had originally. Uh, was I had the CD my, originally. Was also my one of my first CD purchases was this album. But I had it on cassette originally. There's only four or five cassettes that never left my Denon rectangle zip cassette tape holder in high school. It was in my book bag. Denon, holy hell. Denon 120-minute tapes so I could make mixtapes for my me and my I know, I know, I know. Pink Floyd The Wall broke the cassette several times. Metallica and Justice For All because it was that year of high school. Uh, the Real Thing, Faith No More. And uh, the fourth one I'm going to say is like George Michael Faith. Because I like pop music. Um, yeah, well, I don't. I was in a vocal. I was a vocal major at the Fame High School. This is a safe space. It is a safe space. Um, it's a drunk so, yeah, space, man. but it's a safe space. And I'm going to say that this record did not take off right away, and they were confused by it because the record label was hyping them, and they dropped the first single, which I think was from Out of Nowhere, which is the first song on the record and the first song they jammed ever with with mike which comes out i mean you know they dropped the record and then the single came out officially like a few months later so it seems like they didn't quite know what they had or weren't prepared because i would suggest that that not be the first single but no i would but i mean like also in 1989 maybe epic was too ahead of its time which we're going to get well i mean keep in mind who's popular 1989 is the same year that cinderella is riding high that poison just dropped flesh and blood so they're at their apex we're, we're at the hair metal apex. We haven't had alternative music come in and turn the world upside down. Metal is metal in and of itself. Is, yeah, we're in pre-grunge. Second wave of thrash. But which music, is not popular. Which not, not popular. Second wave of thrash. You know, at this point in time, Headbangers <laughs> Ball exists. And, you know, it bands did. like Guns N' Roses are on it. Yeah, yeah. And GNR is just getting huge at this time. They're not right, even, yeah. This is like really like eighty eighty nine is just when appetite is starting to take off. Yeah, we're we're in complete conventional times. Right. So. And then they, they drop that one. They yeah. So they they put the record out and it doesn't do much and they put out from out of nowhere and it's okay and they start opening for bands and they start going on the road and road dogging it. And for whatever reason, the record. Did you say off, raw dogging it? Road dogging it. Okay. 
And then the band, they probably raw-dogged it. The band oh. then also starts to become big in Europe. Just kind of word of mouth. Um, well, Europe has always been a lot more open than we are here. Totally true. Yeah, totally true. And then Epic drops as a single and a video in January of 1990. And then Which was my introduction. So introduce yourself, ironically, people, not my introduction. Most people, well, I would say this, like, We Care A Lot is almost like an 80s pop tune by comparison of Epic, which is, I guess, groundbreaking rap metal song, for better or worse. And we'll talk about why it's for better or worse as Nick pours the intimidating black can beer. Let's see what this pour looks like. Was it? Was this? It's a shitty like? pour because it was like pouring. It, it, the yeah, cans yeah, yeah, are messed up. What's a? That's a nice looking beer though. I don't care. Because, about uh, the, like we're not a, fucking Somaliers. I don't care about the pour. It's uh, a. It's, you've made fun of me about I, the pour. So I, I, I'm, know, I'm like, I made fun of you once. I'm a shitty. I'm, I drink out of cans because I'm not pouring this shit into a glass. It's gonna be an abomination. I feel like a drunk if I don't pour it. I get it. So that way I can see how many glasses I've gone through the next day. Oh, see, I don't... But then I also, like, reuse them, too, so... That's true. So I feel better. So, um... It's not a cry for help. It's not a cry for help. Epic takes off partially on the fact that it's a banger of a fucking song, but also the video, let's be honest, is incredible. It's an amazing video. It's the best video they've ever done, because it encompasses their madness in a sane way. It, you know, we look at We Care A Lot, and I love that. That's still my favorite Faith No More song and always likely will be. It's a banger of a song. It's a great video. But basically, it's these dudes spraying mustard all over everything. That's basically the video. And then Annie's song, like I said, they, they took like five grand from the record company, flew to New York, and shot it for free in their friend's squad. I have not even seen that one still, and I'm probably going to watch that tonight. You should. It's fun. And, that um, song is ridiculous. And it's yeah, bananas. Um, if you had told me it wasn't them and it was like Oingo Boingo, I would have believed you. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, I could do that. <clears throat> or Kajagugu, or some of the different singer like Kajagugu. The Fix. The Fix is incredible. Let's talk. I got a couple of their records. There you got. Don't them up turn around. At a thrift oh, oh. shop. Got them at a thrift shop in Southern, Southern Missouri. Along with a couple of Genesis records. It's like, wow, the fix in Genesis? The yeah, fix. I'll buy these for a dollar. We're all for it. They were a hot deal. They were a big deal. So Epic comes out and just <laughs> the band starts blowing up and the album starts selling and selling to everyone's surprise, including the record label. And then they start going on tours and they start. Wait, hang on. We haven't talked about the fish. Okay. Um, Whose fish was it? I don't know whose fish it was. Whose it was Bjork's was fish. Is it Bjork's fish? Wow. They How borrowed be... Bjork's fish. Did they? No they did not tell Bjork the... that the fish would not be in water. Yeah, that's, yeah. They did get a lot of grief for that. Um, I'm pretty sure Roddy Bottom, beside being out, is also a vegan and has always been actually a vegan, I think. Um, but yeah, just like, I, I, yeah, the fish was not harmed, but... That like ten seconds of the fish flopping. It was emotionally scarred though. For it was as much emotional, scarring. as much emotional scarring as you can give a goldfish. Yes, especially. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. The most I... memorable piano riff of that era that isn't November Rain. Which then pulled a full-on Monty Python and exploded. Yes. Roddy Bottom wearing a T-shirt that says "The Master" walks across a frozen lake to a piano. Starts playing this amazingly beautiful 
melody accompanied by himself and nothing else just yeah. both hands and he gets up and i feel like he wipes a tear away it probably doesn't <laughs> happen he should have if he didn't and he walks 10 steps away off camera and then how not to be seen happens and it just blows up the whole video is banana balls like so like well I mean, and you like, have mike Patton punching strikes. himself in the face Lightning strikes. Mike Patton's wearing. Boxing that was gloves. not banana balls. That was metal. That's what I think. That's what everybody made everybody think they were metal because you wow. have this, you have this metal solo. You have this dude playing incredible a, guitar solo. He, and he's shame. playing a, a, a stainless steel pick guarded flying V. You know he's got that. He's got the jean jacket and the 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 jacket. He's got a jean jacket Glasses. vest over a jacket. He's got the sunglasses on. Like the metal version is easy top. Yeah, and he's, he's he's making metal faces, and then next to him you got Mike Patton giving himself one-two combinations, like you know, like uh, Karate Kid Part Two. Right. Exactly. And so I mean, yeah, the whole thing is banana balls. I, I love that phrase now. Make sure you watch Cobra Kai on Netflix season four. Incredible. I have not started it yet. I will get to that. I got to watch wife, something else first. You and the wife Maybe. I will so, watch it. Uh, they're quick episodes, like thirty minutes each. Forty. Minutes I know. Each. I, look, um, I watched all of it. I've been watching them. Yeah. I'm there. So the video is amazing. Letter Kenny. It's still haven't watched it. The video is amazing, takes off and makes them boy, you know, boost their standing all over the It's the world. kind of video that's gonna capture imagination and make people pay attention. And then I saw from out of nowhere, or no, no, falling to pieces, that was the next one. Which is another banana balls video. Right. That is and, even crazier. Weirdly enough, like it's basically one, two, three to start the record also, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Like the track, the singles are in order of the the track listing, oh, which is unusual, just in general. But like, seems uh, like it shouldn't be though. Really, it shouldn't be because they are three of the best songs on the record. So we can, you know, we, I will say also, uh, I'm gonna save this anecdote for later. But we're gonna bring back the epic video later on in the episode, and we'll talk about why because it starts a bit of controversy. Not just because rest in power, Bjork's fish. I'm sure the fish is not alive anymore, but... Uh, I said rest in the power. The San Francisco Aquarium here has the oldest living fish in captivity in the world, and it likes belly rubs like a dog. Um, that fish is the devil. Perhaps 90 years old. was uh, brought to the aquarium while Al Capone was still in Alcatraz in the in the ocean over here. Um, I don't believe so a word of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause talking about the growth of the band, and we're going to just do the track listing. All right, let's hit it. And then if we need a break, we'll take a break, and then we'll do some, some more storytelling. No, I'm good. So, again, as we've already briefly discussed, from out of nowhere, good lead track, rockin', not too heavy, could go with, do with some heavier guitars, but a very good synth-driven, bouncy, good track with a very catchy chorus. I'm going to apologize because I, in my brain, I mixed up out of nowhere when Falling to Pieces. Okay. Falling to Pieces has got, like, the funky bass. Yeah, yeah. But a little... From out of nowhere is probably the most conventional song on the album. For real, very straight ahead. So, so it, no, okay. I, when I when I said they shouldn't have done that first, I take that back. They completely should have done that first. Oh, okay. I have no idea what the video was. I've never seen it. Like it's I said, like I, I got it similar to the other two videos. It's like very similar to Falling to Pieces. There's a lot of Diglo paint and weird quick cuts. And... Still very reminiscent of the Chuck days because We Care yeah. a Lot. That same. you've just described the We Care a Lot video. It's basically the same. They definitely kept going to that well. Uh, epic number two. Uh, much to the chagrin of Mike, who doesn't want to be thought of as a rapper, iconic rap metal song. Just there's no way around it. That was the first rap metal song that really went anywhere. 
Sort of. Uh, depends on how you consider I'm the Man, which sold a million singles. Even I'm the Man was a rap singles. tune. It wasn't metal at all. There's no metal okay, in well, it. I mean, it's definitely got metal in it. We should do a whole no. episode on just I'm the Man. Absolutely. I w- I'm happy to do that. And we will we will lyrics. unpack every fucking line in that track and that track. So it's gonna disappoint me. What? You hate anthrax. I love, but I love. I'm the man. Oh, all right then. Um, so but I'll, epic, unpa- I'll unpack that shit. Great song, great video. Put the put the band on the map, whether they like it or not. Even more than we care a lot, which I think surprised everybody, because we care a lot at this point is almost a pop song that lives in the pop annals of the '80s. I mean, if, Epic yeah, really I'm not put them say as a heavy band. Really, really pitched them as a heavy band. We and care it, a lot was a heavy pop song. It was, it heavy. was a oh, dense yeah. pop. Oh, song. I mean, yeah, for sure. But still, it was a it was a pop song sung by a crazy person. That's true. Falling to pieces is third with a phenomenal, phenomenal bass line and bass tone. The godly bass tone of Billy Gould. I spent years trying to emulate this tone. I played fingerstyle bass. He has got a very meaty thick compressed bass tone he is capable of playing with a pick he's capable of playing with his fingers he can thumb slap which is where some of these weird comparisons may i blaspheme for a moment you can blaspheme do you know who did acquire that bass tone and copy it perfectly go ahead flea of course well uh, we'll get there one hot minute one hot minute flea had it first there's a long i will fight you i'm a fleophile i love Um, but there's a very we're gonna we're gonna talk about the it's coming it's coming um, Falling to Pieces also good rapping, great chorus, very almost soulful chorus singing by mm, Patton. Mm-hmm. His range in these first few songs is already like upper he, echelon shit, and he's 20 years old at the point this came out. I also felt like he was channeling a little bit of Chuck. Not aping, but in that like, in that kind of like Ozzy kind of way. I don't know. It's hard for me. I don't think so. I think he's such a much more accomplished and better vocalist than Chuck. Just pure talent. Well, I agree with that 100%. He's doing wild shit across each song that you have to really spend time with this record over and over to really appreciate. But he is, as a young person who is not formed at all as an artist, in his first time really trying to sing because the Mr. Bungle stuff that had been out at this point was the demo where he's like screaming the whole time with a few different voices and he's really opening his range and singing. And even this guy, Matt Wallace, who had already produced a lot of legendary bands, was like, I couldn't believe this is a kid doing his first real record. And he is just all over the map vocally. And everything is a wonderful one-take renditions and, like, genius shit. Um, I just think he was trying to stay in the same lane. Well, maybe it's the kind of band they had that, he, you know, like, the, he didn't get to, again, he wanted to change the songs and they wouldn't let him collaborate yeah so these are the songs i'm not saying songs they wrote with chuck in mind and now they can't i'm not saying by any stretch that mike was not as good as chuck or not far far surpassing chuck i just felt there was a little bit of similarity kind of like how with bruce there was some similarity in the first couple of iron maiden records to the diano delivery okay i i don't know if i agree with that but i'll let you okay parlay um i'm gonna go with Surprise, You're Dead is the fourth song on the album. It is thrash-tastic. It is incredibly heavy, maybe still the heaviest Faith No More song to this day. It is unapologetically metal. He has a straight-up... Uh, he, he screams. 
He does kind of like a metal singing voice in the song, and he raps a little also. And that's the one I believe effect. where Jim just go just starts to just starts this amazing, almost death metal chug riff. That old school obituary immolation yeah. that halftime riff in the middle, and he's it always says it's almost also hardcore. So like this is also like the most hardcore style song that Patton sings and it almost makes it a hardcore song when he's like it's not over yet <laughs> that riff is incredible the whole song's incredible cowbell i mean like the drums the bass everything about it and at the very end of the song the last like note rings out and you hear like a mushroom cloud explosion like a and i don't know if it's like tube amps overloading or an actual mushroom cloud that exploded in california because it's that fucking heavy well, and that was still the end. Uh, that was right before the fall of the Berlin Wall, right before the fall of the Soviet Union, and the threat of nuclear annihilation, whereas it had waned a bit. And that's something that, for people who are not our age, you know, when you talk about the pandemic, when you talk about all the things we've been dealing with during the past two years, this is basically our childhood for Gen Xers. We went to school every day and worrying about where the nuclear missiles were going to hit tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't think we so, were yeah. And that, so hearing, you know, explosions and that kind of thing, that was just, you know, that was just in our heads. It was just the soundtrack, the soundtrack of our minds and our, of our anxieties. In frickin' deed. Um, so I think if I'm not mistaken, the cassette had the first six songs on side one or five songs on side one, and then side two was a little longer. Um, so we're going to just go on further to Zombie Eaters, which is a deep cut. They haven't played it live a lot historically, but it is a wonderful, fantastic song about basically comparing babies to zombies. And if you've had a baby, you know that babies are mindless, unloving, horrible beasts. Um, Not entirely true based on my experience, but uh, the cat will eat me if I don't feed it and I die. Yeah. I know because the cat was trying to eat the hamburger meat I was cooking for my sloppy joes this evening mm. while it was cooking. He got up on the stove. It's like, he's, he's so he fears no flame, that cat. No, he's well, it's an electric stove. Off. He's going to boop his nose on the stove and burn his face. Um, it's not going to be pretty. Zombie Eaters is a banger. Uh, loud, soft dynamics. Wonderful singing by Patton. Great lyrics, great analogies. Uh, really cool keyboards work on this song also. Very underrated. Um, the almost... Uh, Patton... Um, um, I would say also Surprise You're Dead was co-written lyrically with Jim, so I think he might have even come up with the Surprise You're Dead. And uh, the next track, The Real Thing, is also a co-lyrical job by Billy and Patton. And in the previous Chuck days, they all kind of collaborated on lyrics. And in the future, they all will collaborate on lyrics, not just Mike. But on this record, they really let Mike write. He wrote like, I don't know, they recorded like 15 songs, 11 are on the album, one's a cover, and he wrote the lyrics for, you know, nine of them by himself. Cannot wait till we get to that cover. We're going to get to that cover. It's going to be a banger. Uh, the title track is next, The Real Thing. Um... I don't know what this song is about. It seems very philosophical. Uh, incre again, incredible vocals, incredible lyrics. Uh, another loud, soft, dynamic song. Very, like... that, that had some mellowness to it that was a great moment in the record to slow it down a little bit. Mm. And I think a lot of people 
don't remember the art of tracking a record. The sequencing of this record is fantastic and completely, perfect, and I would never change a thing. Also, again, I got to shout out my man Billy Gould. Tasteful, beautiful bass playing. Uh, he is one of the masters of slides and using slides and, and gaps in sound, leaving out notes, grace notes, and ghost notes. He is li like almost like James Jamerson or John Paul Jones or Paul McCartney. A Billy Gould bass line is almost like a song by itself, and if you just isolate it and just listen to the bass Did line, you just compare him to John Paul Jones? I did. He is that good. Okay. All he right. is the John Paul Jones of that generation to me. Okay. to me okay i'm not um, judging i'm just asking i'm just getting a clarification so others can right so this is um and again most of these songs are musically collaborative as well just jim is the only sole songwriting guy on the album with his own track which is surprise you're dead so underwater love is like a little catchy ditty is also about murdering your spouse and drowning her in the bathtub so uh very dark but you know fun Songs, not like you know. I would get one of really angry about that and that topic if I wasn't a Johnny Cash fan. Of course. Um, the morning after is probably the I don't know. No tracks on here are throwaways, but it's like the not the strongest track on the record. I, I will say the back half of this record, the back nine, is a little bit samey. <clears throat> okay, that's fair. It's, it's a little muddy on the backside. It, nothing is terrible, but nothing really sticks out for a time, which, I mean, that happens. It it happens in records. And that, Metallica did it. I mean, everybody does it. Everybody, everybody does it does once it. in a while. Everybody does it. Um, the brilliant instrumental Woodpecker from Mars, which technically closed out the original vinyl version of the album, is a goddamn work of genius. Wait a minute. The cover's not on the original vinyl? It's... Not it's on the cassette and the CD. It was not on the vinyl. Oh shit! Maybe I don't want to buy the vinyl anymore. <laughs> well, no, I mean I think on the current vinyl it's all. On. Oh, okay, okay. The original pressing is what you don't want. I have a 30th anniversary, the real thing, 180 gram. Um, not that I have it here in California. It's back east in a storage, but I do own it. Um, and I was looking to buy a Faith and More record for this run to listen to, and so far the only one I can find locally to me is the greatest hits which does have the mix of we care a lot that i like the most but i don't want the greatest hits as my vinyl purchase for this so why not um, I, I i've know. started with a lot of bands that way when uh when you come to town whenever we figure out when that is uh mm -hmm. you can have my copy of cream greatest hits i well okay um because by then i'm gonna I have the other two records at eric's face oh um, no it's you can't it's it's I different know. that was everything eric became later i've determined um, on my in my mind is because he was on too many drugs. Heroin will kill you, kids. Um, Woodpecker from Mars, really oh, great Jesus. instrumental. They used to like used to be their walk off music. Actually, it's like they would leave with the tape playing. Um, and it's great. And it's actually the one song where where my man Billy on the bass does the full on funkity funk thumb slap that everybody kind of credits him with, but like. That's the one song where he really, like, that last stanza where they're all going hardcore at the end. I think a lot of people deter figure his thunk, 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 that he does all the time. Well, right. not all the time, but regularly. I think a lot of people misunderstand that instead of, because I would personally think that that is a really thunderous picking. 
people believe it's a slap. Some of it is a slap, but on Woodpecker from Mars, he's literally doing right. the the claw. He's it's kind of like how everybody claw, thought claw, that claw, uh, claw. Unforgiven Two had uh, was it Unforgiven Two? Oh no, that they thought that there was pedal steel on Mama said, but it was actually on Unforgiven Two. Of all the things to mention, anyway, Mama said. Let's talk about War Pigs, the cover. Oh, One of the greatest covers of I just Sabbath filled the cup. Ever. I just filled the cup, dude. For real. Good reference. We were just talking about movies. Um, yeah, man. War Pigs cover. Go ahead. I'll let you go. This is... Now, I have all... I, I think I've discussed it on this podcast before, but in case you are tuning in for the first time on this one for the second episode of Faith No More... Go back to the first one, please. To me, the perfect cover song encompasses two sounds simultaneously. If you per- cover it perfectly, it doesn't sound like your song. It doesn't sound like their song. It sounds like both of you at the same time playing the same song. And on this record, on this cover of War Pigs, they nail it. They nail it differently, though. On this, If this were on NIB, Nativity in Black, whatever this would have been the best cover on that whole fucking record. Not even, and it wouldn't have been even close. They would have taken Biohazard and said, sit down, sons. We're going to show you how we do this. This is how we roll in the Bay Area, not on NYC. Fuck you guys. And the way they did it was, one, of course, you've got the keyboards to give it a little bit of an extra flair. It gives it that later Sabbath kind of flair. But you have Jim playing this track 100% straight. He plays every note, every bit. He's playing a Gibson. Naomi played a Gibson. It's got this perfect, amazing tube sound. He gets those tones. He gets Iomi's tones. I don't know what witchcraft he did that with. Because that's impossible. He, But he did it. Maybe he chopped off a couple fingers, didn't tell anybody. I don't know. I don't know what he did, but he did yeah. something. They channeled these dudes heavily. Then, Patton, yeah, Patton does his thing. Oh yeah, and then Patton is like doing like this perfect Aussie for a while, and then and then out of nowhere, Billy Gould is like, <laughs> boom, 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 and then all of a sudden it's Faith No More playing Black Sabbath right. with Black, and then at the end, Mike Patton just can't rein it in anymore, and he has to explode with the mustard all over the track, and he does it, and you're like, oh yeah. Faith no more. You guys are great. Nailed it. Let me clean up. Indeed. And uh, uh, your fun fact: Puffy Borden went on to play for both Black Sabbath and Ozzy solo. I saw. I saw both of those. I my first Ozzy experience, my first Sabbath experience, even was uh, 1997 Ozfest when Mike Borden played for both of them. And uh, I've seen Black Sabbath with three drummers and two singers. Uh, My favorite drummer was Mike Borden. He is beast. I would have liked to have seen him with Dio. I, Never going to happen because Dio and Apathy are like, you know, they're, they're, like, they're, like, they're like me and Keefe, basically. Oh. But um, Mike Borden had that. Let's, yeah, he, let's just step back for a second and talk about. Like, I can't. I'm, 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 I'm on. No, give me a minute. On. I got to I got to finish. I got to finish this. Finish. Mike Borden has that instability of bill ward he might that instability of ace fraley mm-hmm. he might fall over but he never does yeah and that's he's also wh- the oldest guy in the band by a bit and uh 
he it's a really unruly bunch of dudes like uh i don't know if you're familiar with the movie i love you man with paul rudd and jason siegel i have not seen it my there's a scene in there my buddy who's a rush fan keeps telling me watch it watch it watch it maybe we'll see it together i may make you we'll we'll um there's a scene in there with a random bunch of dudes and faith no more is a random looking bunch of dudes puffy looks like a hippie but he plays like no he looks like a rastafarian he, yeah, he look well. He's good. Yeah, he's definitely. He's got. He's got like out. those, those like three quarter inch dreadlocks. Bill is the guy who was wearing the dress shirts and ties before the whole band adopted that look. They just ended up picking it up after him. Uh, Roddy is Roddy. He's wild. Mike in the <laughs> in the epic video, he's wearing a t shirt that says "The Master." The Master. The That's master. all it says. That's all it says. And uh, and mirrored sunglasses. Indeed. Um. I think we need to bring mirrored sunglasses back. We that has got to come back. back. We need we need some Rowdy Roddy Piper, They Live sunglasses. Um, Edge of the World closes out the... It was track six on the cassette version. It is not on the vinyl, but it is on the CD as the final track. Uh, so they shifted the tracks around a little bit. And Edge of the World is like a jazzy, torch song kind of thing doesn't you know doesn't make sense in the but it makes sense in a faith no more way um and again kind of like a psychopathic love murder song so well that is a great way to describe faith no more it doesn't make sense except to them yeah because they're everything they do it's it's like if you look at the five people the five personalities the five styles none of them should be in the same band together totally completely um, there were some other tracks recorded at the time of this record that didn't come out until later. There's a song they called Sweet Emotion, not the Aerosmith song, but because it had like a little bass intro, it ended up mm. becoming the perfect crime on the Bill and Ted Bogus Journey soundtrack. Um, there's a deep reference. A super deep reference. There's some radio versions of some of the other tracks and remixes. There's a song called Cowboy Song, not the Thin Lizzy song. Um, so they start blowing up and controversy starts to follow them as they get bigger and bigger. But, uh, just, are we going to point out who they opened for on this? Yeah, I'm about to, I was going to say, um, yeah, they started opening for, you know, an incredible myriad of bands. They opened for Metallica twice. And then later on during the next album, Billy Idol, Soundgarden, Voidland. Oh, you skipped one. Forbidden, Primus, Babes in Toyland, and Poison. They opened up. Of. They opened up on the Metallica Guns N' Roses tour. That's later, though. That's Is several that years. Ninety-two. That's, that's three years later. Two years later. We'll get to it. We're gonna get there oh. on the next one. Oh. Uh, but they did open for Metallica briefly on the end of the Black Album. So the beginning of the Black Album mm-hmm. U.S. run, Faith No More did a bunch of dates, and they got to be buds. You know, Jim and James made sense. Um, and they were selling records. So, I mean, that definitely helped them hugely. Um, interestingly enough, I have two amazing anecdotes. That Here happened. comes the tease is going to pay off I don't know if you need a break. Now. Do you need to pause or take a break? But, like... <laughs> Awkward Moments by Nick and Keefe. We did not um, discuss how this was going to go, so I pointed at Keefe. We did not discuss how this was going to go, but um, the band starts to become big in Europe as they go to tour Europe and play with Europe. bands over there. Europe. And they they record a 
what they they record a soundboard tape that comes out so good the the label wants to capitalize on it a year less than a year after the album comes out the real thing they put out you fat bastards live at the Brixton Academy which later on became a videotape and then some of these videos were part of their video croissant VHS a few years later croissant um, croissant I apologize, all French people. So, You Fat Bastards has the famous version of War Pigs where Mike goes blah, 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 and it works anyway. <laughs> Even though it's kind of sacrilege, it still works. Kind of really. It still does. But controversy starts to follow the band. The first one is, this is really good. Then the second one's kind of like a tall tale that comes back and boomerangs later in their career. But I'm going to tell it now because we're not going to get that far later in the series. So... The Real Thing video comes out, the band explodes and gets big. And a former friend of theirs potshots them in the press. Anthony Kiedis thinks that Mike Patton has ripped him off during the video and live performances. I don't know, there was no YouTube back then, but he feels like Patton, maybe he was friends with Chuck, but Patton comes into the band and is wearing no shirt, has long hair, and is kind of hip-hopping around and rapping in the video. And Anthony Kiedis feels like this is a personal affront to him somehow. Like he's the first fucking white dude to do this ever. No, number one. Number two... I believe he's Native American, though. These bands could not be further apart musically. Not further apart I disagree a little bit. Mother's Milk... Red Hot Chili Peppers and The Real Thing Faith No More okay, could that, yeah, not be further yeah. apart music. I'll give you that. Maybe Out in L.A. sounds like we care a lot, a little. And actually, I would say Kiedis is a better rapper than, you know, most people. And Patton is a superior... Patton sings moons around Kiedis. And I love the Chili Peppers. Moons. Kiedis cannot sing. He's an atonal, tone-deaf guy. I disagree. He had his moments. There were a few, not many. He shubba-lubba-lubbed his way through a lot of songs. He did shubba-lubb. He did shubba-lubba-lubb. Shubba-lubba-lubb, to quote my best friend Curtis Dunlap. So, like, really, shubba-lubba-lubbed his way through a lot of fucking songs. And Cobain did it, and Kiedis did it, and I know people think it's quaint and charming, and it does not always work. So if you really respect and love music... Respect should, music. You, you should shovel up or you should not should shovel not. up. Let's be clear. Should not. Should not. Should not. Okay. Even though I not. think Soul to Squeeze is the greatest Chili Pepper song ever. Um, really? Yeah, for real. Like, it's, right. uh, yeah, it's incredible. That's odd. Even with the Chubba Lubs. It's just, I overlooked the Chubba Lubs because... The There's no guitar in that song. It's beautiful. Because they didn't have a guitar player when they recorded it, so they just went, whatever. Yeah. Okay, we'll get there. Um, so, so now it becomes a thing in the press where they start asking Kiedis about the Faith No More and about Patton. And, um, I think Chad Smith had the quote where he's like, oh yeah, we're going to kidnap that dude, cut off his hair, shave his head and chop off one of his legs so he can't jump around like our singer. And now Faith No More, at first they were like confused. They're like, we were friends with those guys. Maybe they're trying to help us, give us publicity, but I don't understand why they're talking shit. Then, you know, they're asking Pat, and then Pat already doesn't like the press. He was like a metal and punk rock guy, and he didn't want to do a lot of press and be a rock star um, and be pretentious, although later he definitely is pretentious. But, like, he definitely didn't want to do this shit at the beginning. And then finally, after, like, a year of pestering him in every interview request, he's like, 
I don't know if like he just wants to like talk about me instead of their new album or his girlfriend or anything good in his life. Maybe he's scared that we're a good new band and he's old. Maybe there he's jealous of me. Uh, then he said something about like I think I shake my booty a little more fresh than he does. But if he ever wants to just have like a break dance off, I'm down to do a break off with him. I, I think maybe if he gave up the drugs, he would be a better dancer than me. But he's not. So it starts to become vicious. But okay, it kind of blows over, and then like, you know, years later, both bands are complimentary with each other. This, though, lasts into the decade later. We're going to fast forward past Faith No More. Faith No More breaks up later in the series for us, but they break up, and Patton focuses on Bungle, which he was already kind of doing anyway. Bungle puts out their album, California, at the same exact time on the same exact label as the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Californication. The record label... Look, I've never heard Mr. Bungle in my life. Okay. But I'm willing to bet that it was better than Californication. For sure. But also, but also, also... Because that's when the Chili Peppers just went to shit. That's a fact. But also, also, there's a lot of talk that the Chili Peppers... Like the lay the label asked them like what should we do you mind that we put these two records out and the Chili's were like yeah don't dare put their album out next to ours or near ours so their album was like shelved for like half a year while the Chili's album came out they're not related they're not relatable I know that there's been cases where albums have come out and they sound like each other uh, Nocturnal by Black Dahlia Murder came out at the same time as Nocturne by the Fume, Human Abstract they have nothing to do with each other sonically both good bands. Um, but like, you know, they gave each other shit about the two similar names. So then it's like, okay, there's some shit. Then both albums came out in the early part of a year and Mr. Bungle in their first time being out at the same time without Faith No More also existing starts booking these big festival dates all over the world. And then they start getting yanked from them. Yoinked or yoked or yanked. And, um... The rumor has it that the Chili Peppers didn't want them playing the same festival as them and told many festival bookers to get rid of them or we would not come. And you know, Chili Peppers at this point, one of the biggest fucking bands in the world, and Mr. Bungle is still a middle of the festival lineup day band. So they started to take it personally, and it starts to become a feud between the two bands, culminating in a 2000 concert in Anthony Kiedis' home state of Michigan on Halloween, where... Mr. Bungle performs in costume as the Chili Peppers, playing perfect versions of Chili Peppers covers for a whole set, but also making horrible references about drugs, overdoses, and deaths. Not in good taste if you like both bands, but hilariously fucking funny if you want to look this up on YouTube. I was going to ask until you dropped that, but I'm going to say it anyway because I still think it's funny. Did anybody find out which band Joni loved the best? Huh? That's a deep cut because Anthony Kiedis uh, was on an episode of Happy Days. Okay, right. And he told Joni that you were the girl most that everybody voted most likely to do homework with. Oh. That's Aaron, not what he... He didn't mean homework, Aaron, though. I know. Aaron Moran. I think she's passed on. Oh shit! And fuck Scott Baio. Anyway, oh yeah, in the in the dick hole. <laughs> Scott Baio should have to get like a old school chlamydia test. Oh god, every day this of is his going life for the rest of no, his life. no, no. He should have to get a uh, uh, a Mesopotamian gonorrhea treatment. 
I don't even want to know. Oh, um, they, they take a candle? Lit candle? Right at the pee hole. Yes. Yeah, well. This is my Illinois education at work. This came from uh, ancient, ancient world history. Jesus. Um, so anyway, I thought that anecdote was fun. Here's another Thank fun you, one. Mrs. Regna. Here's another fun Faith No More story years later. It was told to me by Buzz Osborne of the Melvins. I love telling this story. Uh, Fantomas is a side project of Mike Patton's with Buzz Osborne, Dave Lombardo. Wait, my, Buzz is in that? Buzz is in that band. Yeah, I haven't heard that either. Dave Lombardo. I knew Lombardo Slayer, was. And uh, I'm going to say Dwayne Dennison of Jesus Lizard. Or Wait, so, so is it a different uh, Dave Lombardo from Grip Incorporated? The same Dave Lombardo? Oh, neat. Slayer. Dave Lombardo neat. of Dead Cross. Dave Lombardo of Suicidal Tendencies. Dave Lombardo of formerly of Film. Just yanking names. your chain. Come on. You don't got to drop all the names. Pick them up. Pick them up. Pick them up. Pick them up. So, Phantomas is opening for Tool in the early aughts when Tool is on tour in arenas for Lateralis. Phantomas is not really a band. I don't know what just happened here. Did we lose our pod? No. Um, Phantomas is not really a band that should um, be in arenas. But okay, fine. And so they open for Faith No More. Yeah, they're just not. But you know, okay, fine, whatever. But okay, fine. They, you know, they they have celebrity names, so they're gonna go, you know, play open for Tool. And Tool just thinks they're bringing their friends on tour, right? So they're sitting in the green room one day, and the arena's filling up, and the arena's playing music over the PA, and Danny Carey, and Maynard, and Mike Patton, and Buzz, and other guys are sitting around the green room. They're doing whatever they do in the green room and this song comes over the speakers and like you know everybody's just kind of hearing this song against their will because it's pumping through the fucking arena and Danny Carey sits up in his seat and he goes this is the worst piece of shit song I have ever heard in my whole fucking life whoever this band is should be murdered and Patton stands up wow. smashes his drink on the ground and storms out of the room and he doesn't say a word. And everybody's like, what the fuck just happened? And Buzz says, you don't know? That was epic by Faith No More. <laughs> so, like, even if Patton, who has had a tough relationship with that stardom and that song, from, like, there were years where they wouldn't even do it or they'd just do, like, a snippet of it because he didn't want to do it anymore. They okay. would, like, mash up a rap song and We Care A right. Lot and The Real Thing and uh, Epic. So he didn't have to do them all. See, that, an old friend of mine was a huge Huge faith. Uh, I'm sorry, Mike Patton fan. Sure, I he am. loved Phantom Moss. He loved that ridiculous, ridiculous record that Mike Patton did, a cappella by himself Ma- in the yep. hotel at nights. I don't know what it was called. He loved it all. He loved all that guy. He loved all that except Faith No More. Yeah, I know people. <clears throat> I know now, people who will swear on a Bible that Mr. Bungle is their band and Faith No More is garbage. And right, right. Garbage. This is you know this is that guy. And this is pre-internet days, so I, I didn't want to bring this up until I didn't want to bring it up. Period, because I don't know if it's true, but now I know it's not based on Sorry. that reaction. So what he had said was, well, the belief was that Mike Patton hated Faith No More, hated everything they did, but he only did it to pay the bills so he could have money to do all these other things. I am just fucking uh, up left and right today. Sorry. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but based on hearing that story, that makes me think that no, that is just. Well, he actually some... really loved. He loves his band. I think it's a 
I think stardom is a thing he didn't want. I'm sure he loves having money and the uh, financial freedom that comes with being a rock star, but I don't right. think he liked being a rock star. I don't think he ever wanted to be a rock star. He's a creative person. He's an artiste. In the, Correct. And he is pretentious, and he does love being an artist, and he does care deeply about how people there, view him. Have you seen The Dark Side of the 90s? It's a documentary on, you can see it on Hulu, and they, the one the first one was about the Viper Room, and okay. the the lead singer of Counting Crows ended up becoming the bartender at the Viper Room for a year Fuck. in order to hide, because he hated being a star. All of a sudden... He's just what? another dreadlock guy in L.A. But yeah, but I know. I know, I know. They're such a terrible band. I hate them, but you know I hate them, but I like him now. I would hang out with him. Oh, okay. I just would be like, no, you don't need to give me tickets to the show. It's totally cool. I'm not going to cover this. One but... of the most unholiest things to ever happen to mankind, along with this coronavirus and genocide. And Can I just finish without us you know, ripping on is... somebody that, no? Okay. <laughs> no, no. Nope. I started. Okay. You can't stop it once it starts. <laughs> Fair. You wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. That motorcycle clutch, dude. That's Once fair. I, Hit it. You get into third. Get, get it into fourth. Sixth Avenue heartache. Jacob Dylan and the Wallflowers and Mr. Jones there. Uh, Holy fuck! Oh, what an abomination of a song that fucking okay. thing is. Go All ahead. right. So so we are going straight up. Nineteen ninety four. Metal is the best. Fuck you. Alternative. All right. I okay. didn't know we were going there today. A little Here bit. we are. Here we are. Go uh, ahead. Sorry. No, I lost the plot. So. Lost the story. Am I bad? But anyway, so Patton does actually care about Faith and More. I am Clearly. sorry that he's not well and they canceled all their tour dates. But, you know, the real thing put them on the map in a much bigger way than even We Care A Lot did. Um, it certainly set the stage for the greatness that is to come later in the decade. But this is still their, like, one, you know, if not their pinnacle record, I think it's their second best record. A lot of people will tell you it's their best record. Certainly still has the most memorable hit songs. It is definitely the halcyon days of this band. And it is a moment in time where they could do no wrong musically. They just, you know, these five guys got together and they created something beautiful. This is, you know, I, I, I you know, I have my complaint that the, the back half gets a little samey, but, you know, not that it's not a major complaint. It happens. But the highs on this record are so fucking high. That it's just like, holy hell. And they really, they I mean, they nailed it. They completely nailed it. The Like between Killers and Number of the Beast, they took a band and they elevated it by changing one member. It does happen sometimes. Hey, and, Tommy uh, Sean sticks. It happens. It does happen. Um, yeah, man. I'm going to put you on the spot on the oh, air, shit. on the pod, and tell Sweet. you... I want you to try to spend some time with Angel Dust when it when you. I own it. it, but you have to spend some time with it. I have. I will. I want you to spend some time. I with have, it and I will. Week. All right. I want you to spend some time with it. I bought the fucking thing. Take it out for for soda and share your feelings with the album. Okay, that it's a CD. It's an inanimate object. Are you? <laughs> I want you take the CD with you to the store and pet it while you. Do I don't even have a CD player. <laughs> I understand. I don't either. Really. I have one um, in my car, that's it. I mean, that's the only place. But yeah, man, like this... this People album, ask me, so you don't listen to CDs? No! No. Yeah. This album's incredible. And, um, you know, it, it sent them on their way. Whatever, Like, if they had never matched this, I could see why, because it's so great, some of it. And I think even the weaker songs get over, like, just get 
elevated because they're around this incredible cover and all the instrumental. I still think those are bangers. So I do think the whole record overall is is a score and a win. And um, when yeah. you're a new band and you have a major hit, it's a blessing and a curse, and mm. it usually signifies a short lifespan. They, they, like I said, if you read the book, A Small Victory, they thought in that period of time, the record is out and not doing anything, even though the label was paying for them to go on these big tours. I think they had a feeling they were going to get dropped and ruined and go back to whatever. Well, the 90s um, was the first decade where you got dropped more often than minor league hockey players got cut. So it was, it was a new world at that time where... It, <laughs> I think the phrase I heard most often was if you're on a major label like Reprise Records, anybody heard of that one today? Uh, sell 350,000 copies or fuck you. Mm. I am also listening to the audiobook of a great book from 2021 I cannot recommend enough. This is Dan Ozzy's Sellout, the major label Feeding Frenzy, which talks mostly about punk and emo and hardcore bands but uh is in early metalcore bands but it's really fucking great if you hmm. love music history and the 90s particular holds some value for you um it's really interesting how the the major label system tried to pimp and uh proliferate these bands and they I, I would like, actually sound alike bands remind me send me a message with the title of that record i will see if the library has it because and, and we can talk you know as we've discussed, doing a bumper between series, we'll talk. Maybe. But I, do, you, do we have anything else on Faith No More? Or are we just Not rambling? today. I think we're, you know, their star is elevating and, uh, you know, pretty pretty great. Pretty great record. And it still holds up today. I still listen to it. I listen Complete, to it all the time. Completely agree with that. It is still an amazing record. It is not as good to me as, we, as uh, Introduce Yourself, but, you know... Whatever. That that it's just personal opinion. They're both amazing records. This is definitely when the 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 fuse is lit on their bottle rocket as it were. And this this gives them a career which they can coast on for the rest of their life. Damn. I'll never I'll never begrudge a band for that, but once if you are a semi underground band once you if you get that golden ticket, it becomes a little more difficult. You know, talking about Counting Crows, because, hear me out, because of that, I'm not going to talk about music, I'm just talking about sales, because of their hit with Mr. Jones, their first record goes seven times platinum, and every record does half again less in Hootie. perpetuity. The Hootie Syndrome. Right, and if you if you break it big that first time, save your fucking money. You know, save Pink Floyd... Almost went into bankruptcy at the at the wall. They were all broke. So I mean, think about that for a second. Pink Floyd nearly filed for Maybe, bankruptcy. They were hiding out in France because they couldn't Correct. go back home because the tax man was going to take all their shit. Um, Correct. So what's the lesson if you get a shit ton of money on one record? Save it. Four hundred one k bitches. Anything else? Not really, except to say that as much praise as I just jizzed all over this record, this is not even my favorite Faith No More record next week's is. Oh, fuck me. Anyway, fuck, fuck me running. Anyway, this is the Glacier Musical Podcast. It does not play in Peoria, but I do cheer for Peoria. <laughs>